Once upon a time, there were millions of businesses struggling. Every day they wasted time, effort, and resources on repetitive tasks that added no value. One day, the Better Automation podcast by Processio came to help them find a way. Because of this, these businesses save time, reduce costs, innovate, and make better decisions. Because of that, these businesses grow, scale, and use human creativity to change this world. Hello, my name is Aziz, and I'm your host at Better Automation Podcast by Processio, where I interview the world's top experts and share their very best ideas on how to improve automation in your businesses, processes, and life. My guest today is Jill Walker. Jill is a multi-award winning CRM trainer, educator, and mentor. Jill is a Dynamics 365 Click Dimensions expert, a Microsoft certified trainer, and a platform solution architect with 30 years of experience. In 2021, she was the president of NSW chapter of Professional Speakers Australia. Jill, how are you today? I am fine, and it's awesome to be here as is. Thank you for inviting me. It's my honor. It's my privilege. I'm really excited about this. And let's begin with the very, very, very basic part, which is what is solution architecture? If someone wants to understand it on a more concrete or simpler way of explanation, what would you say? Solution architecture is designing a system. So it tends to be from the 10,000 foot view down to maybe the 1,000 foot view. And a solution architect will put together how different systems link together. They will also design how the system overall works for all of the different groups of end users using it. Obviously, I'm answering that question from a very CRM-centric standpoint because that's what I am. Although I suspect that a lot of that is also true for a much broader range of systems. So pure developers, and I have to admit the term developer is one that I hate, but pure developers seem to have are very small so they're having the 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 one foot the two foot the ten foot view where the solution architect has the thousand and the ten thousand foot view of how the system will work for the end user thank you so if i understood you correctly it's a classic dilemma of people being so in their work or the developers being in front of the tree that they see a tree and they don't see the forest while a solution architect will see the whole thing because i don't know and correct me if i'm wrong about this often when you're optimizing the full system you might need to sub-optimize parts of it to not create constraints or uh, something that are working too much for the whole system or too well and therefore if each person tries to optimize each part of the link without caring for the rest they might create things that make no sense overall but make sense in their small corner of the world did i understand correctly i think there's certainly a lot of truth in what you've said there i think also developers in general and i'm 
doing some very, very broad brush strokes here, and I realise that some of your listeners will be the exception that proves the rule. But in general, the developers, those people that are scrabbling around in the very low level of detail, tend to be more junior earlier on in their careers. And one of the side effects of that is the ability to say, that's fine, I'm me, whatever that means, but I'm not developing for me, I'm developing for an administrator, a salesperson, a call centre agent, and a whole range of other people who have roles and lives that are a million miles from the developer in question. One of the things that I encourage people on my courses, on my training to do, is to wear three, and sometimes the number increases, but three hats when they're doing development. So the three hats I ask them to wear the first one is the one that they wear quite naturally. So that's for the developer of today who's got a requirement and they need to deliver it, typically with a deadline that might be a bit on the tight side. So that side, that hat, most people in question can wear quite comfortably. The second hat I ask them to put on is the hat of the end user. So who will be using this form, this report, this whatever it is that you're working on and what are their needs, wants, skill level and so on. The third hat is one that I think really takes people aback and that is going back again to the technical world but not the technical world of today but imagine that they are a developer, a support person, joining this project in six or 12 months time and being asked to do an update, whatever that might mean, to the piece of work that they're working on right now. And A, a lot of developers find that three hat and occasionally it becomes more than three, but that three hat idea, quite challenging. And I think I could bet a pretty decent sum of money that the technician joining the project in six or 12 months time is a whole idea that they has not even crossed their whatever at all in previously. I love that. It's taking on different perspectives or as you said hats in order to not make mistakes that would be avoidable if you just take the time to think and have that 10,000 feet view of the whole system and I love it and to ask you about your trainings because some people might have an objection where they think oh, my personality is not like that maybe this is not for everybody so to you, do you believe there are specific personality types that you can tell some of the traits that they will recognize themselves and say, this will be a perfect upskilling for me? Or anybody with enough dedication can 
you know, uh, take their careers and their usefulness and their ROI on their time to the next level by not only being developers, but taking it to the solution architect uh, level and becoming what you're talking about? I think anyone who's prepared to put in the time and effort and do the work, I think that's key. We all know people out there in the world who, yes, they'd like to be a solution architect. They'd like to be a senior manager with the corner office and the seven, eight figure salary and so on. But do they want to put in the work and the work in their own time? Are they prepared to do a full day's work and then go home, whatever that means in our COVID um, work from home environment, but go home and get the books out, start studying, work through, watch videos, put together some structure with a long-term view of achieving that. Now, certainly there are some people who do it. I, by no means am I knocking everyone, but there are also a lot of people who don't understand the importance of the effort that it takes to get from where you are to where you want to go to. Thank you. And any business, at which stage do you believe they should add the solution architecture skills to their portfolio of competitive skills? Or can someone think, me as an entrepreneur with a small team, if I take your training, I will take things to the next level? Is this is not only for corporations or for big companies? Is this like a correct assumption? Is it useful in that way? Or should it be more left to the the corporate world and the people with their own office just doing this all day for big projects? I think there is a role in the sort of training that I provide for a lot of people. Having said that, my training is very Dynamics 365 CE focused. So if you're not looking at becoming more skilled within that space, you probably wouldn't get that much from the training that I provide. Whereas if you are in the dynamic space, I am sure you would get a lot of value in the training that I provide. But of course, as with any training, just coming along on the nominated day and sitting in a classroom or even the other side of a camera is not going to get you very far. Again, it comes down to being active, putting effort into the training, doing the labs, asking questions, being engaged. Training to be, well, effective training has to be very active. I agree 100% and let's discuss tools and of course Microsoft Dynamics CE as you mentioned is a very powerful tool but on a more principle thinking base if someone understands the skills that you offer can they use it on any tool or what is about Microsoft Dynamics that makes it the chosen tool that you have invested everything into? The majority of my training is 
hands-on in dynamics. Having said that, a lot of the stories that I tell and material that's more likely to end up in my keynotes is very relevant to a very broad range of people. Some of the stories I tell relate to my own experience in my company with finding people to support me with the website. And I found I fell into similar traps over the website that I see my clients falling into with dynamics or click dimensions. And it comes down to not understanding the importance of understanding the technology. So while I don't expect every employee of a client organisation to do full-blown training, I do feel it is very important for the organisation as a whole to keep the project ownership internal to their organisation, but not just to say they're keeping it internal, but to give the people that are therefore making decisions sufficient training so they've got the skills to understand the impact of the decisions that they make. Thank you, and I love this, what you're speaking about, but I have to ask you something. A lot of people within the solution architecture space or digital transformation or automation will say actually somewhat something a bit different, and I don't know if they don't mean something different or if they mean the same. They will say, look, first focus on your people and then having them aligned with the why and with the goals and all that and then design processes that work for those people. And technology is only a minor supportive uh, part of the whole process and it comes last and it's not so important and they downplay it and all that. Do you agree with this or not? I do agree with that. However, within that technology space, so even if it is only, let's say 20% of the whole, we are going to work with that technology. And one of the things that I see as being problematic is when people make a decision within the technology. So while I'm completely acknowledging the process and people as being more important and sitting above the technology, within that technology space, if you're going to make a decision, for example, I need you to automate this, whatever this might be in the context, you've got to understand the impact of that decision. And that means understanding to some level the technology and understanding that yes, we could do it this way, but we could also do it that way. And this gives us ABC, that gives us ADE. Let's look and do some pros and cons. So I'm not throwing the people and the processes out, although I am from the particular conversation that we're having. Thank you. That's a very wise and very clear answer. And you mentioned a lot about how your education process is hands-on. There are a lot of like uh, specific 
projects or exercises people should do in order to become not only proficient but very knowledgeable about Microsoft Dynamics and all that. What did you notice in the education space that you thought is wrong, is a wrong way of approaching learning this kind of skill? And why did you settle down on your own way of educating? And how would you describe how do you educate executives or people, uh, developers? You have, you have no plans for the rest of the week because I could talk forever about this. So, okay. Let's try to keep it reasonably brief and let's look at mistakes. So one mistake that I see, and this is a mistake on the part of the participants in training, is what I call screenshot surfing. So if I've got a series of hands-on labs that are do this, type this, whatever, just going from this screenshot right make my screen look like that now i make my screen look like that and now i make my screen look like that not reading what's in between and certainly not paying attention to the why so that's one big mistake on the part of participants others are reasonably straightforward um, another mistake on the part of the participants is when they have a question asking the person sitting next to them. Now, if we assume that the person sitting next to them, whether they're from the same company or a different company, depending on the training, is probably equally new to the whole, all of the stuff, that's why they're on that course. On the balance of probability, who is likely to give you the better answer? The person sitting next to you that might have five minutes more experience than you, or the person leading the session, who in my case, has got 20 years more experience. So they're probably the two main things I see on the side of the participants. If we look on the side of people planning training, and I speak on the seven sins of, well, it might be dynamics training, it might be CRM training, it could even be IT training, depending on who I'm speaking to. Um, but if we look on the side of planning training, trying to put this much training into this much time. So people are put under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and just are, either aren't able to complete it or complete it so quickly that it's gone by the time they leave the room. Another mistake, again, on the part of people planning training is not acknowledging that training itself is a skill. So you shouldn't just go and find somebody who knows a little bit more than you, which may, of course, be very little about the topic in question and say, fine, you're not doing anything on Monday. Can you go and train those people? because they are almost certainly lacking in the communication and the transmission skills. So how do we take this knowledge that I know that's in here and give it to you so that you've really got it? Not you've heard it once, but it's gone in and you're then able to apply it to your world in whatever you're doing. 
Another mistake is, I did tell you I could keep going all week, but. <laughs> no, perfect. I just want to ask this because I love what you're doing. I want people to not have any obstacles on their mind that intimidates them from the process because, you know, it uses a lot of very great, you know, um, terms that might feel intimidating to some busy executive who doesn't have the time. And like you said, would be used to uh, learning under pressure and all that. So to ask you, is solution architecture common sense that is not so common? So it's easy to understand it. Common sense is anything other than common. Yes, that's what I mean. Or is it counterintuitive where the instincts of the people are totally misaligned with what needs to be done? I actually think a lot of it is counterintuitive and that is further fed by people have been doing things wrongly for some time. And then you get into the environment of, well, when I was a lad, it was done like this, so this'll do. This actually reminds me, many, many, many years ago, I'm older than I look, I had a job that required me going into operating theatres occasionally. And one morning, I got down into the theatre suite, got changed into these really sexy blue Airtex pyjamas that everybody has to wear in theatre and went out the other side of the changing room and there was an almighty row the sort that you should never hear in a professional environment and this row the short version of it was the consultant had come in and had found that i think a registrar so a significantly junior person had cancelled an operation that morning because he was supposed to be doing the operation, the reg, and he'd been up all night dealing with an aneurysm. And he took the call, I don't feel able to do this open heart surgery because I've been up all night, so I've cancelled it. And what the consultant was doing was, you win. When I was your age, we thought nothing about staying up all night. We could do it two, three, four nights in a row. You're <laughs> and there does seem to be a lot of that. That sure, in history, and whether it's 40 years ago like that was at the time, or whether it's longer ago or less, doesn't really matter. Just because it used to be done like that, doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. And I think we all should be open to change and to understand why. If somebody is saying, I don't think this is the right way to do it, why are they saying that? Listen to them, look at the alternatives. Thank you, and then I have to ask you something because I spoke to some digital transformation experts who say, don't design processes as if from scratch to design the most optimal way of doing it because you already have something that is happening or working or like you said i mean i don't know if that's the extent of what you're speaking about that's how it's already been done improve based on that uh, have that as the skeleton for improvement 
rather than beginning with the ideal way things should be done and implementing that because there'll be a lot of resistance, a lot of old habits will come back to confuse people and all that. Do you agree with one of these perspectives? How do you approach it? I probably agree with both of them and it would depend. So I would look at the process as is and I'd start asking questions. So for example, why do you want to change that process? Which bits of the process aren't working? What bottlenecks do we have in the process? So there's three of my questions at that level. Because if the process is close to working and it's more a, a case that now we've got a process that works using whatever we were using today we're moving to dynamics and we need to make it work in dynamics keeping it largely the same and just taking advantage of dynamics in most instances is the sensible way of going but if this process that we've got today is error prone and time consuming and 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 taking an error prone time consuming process and dumping it into dynamics is probably not very sensible even though the users might like the error prone time consuming process so as always there's it's not one size fits all i love this like you said this conversation could go on for weeks and weeks on end so if people want to learn from you, to have you as their educator and their mentor, can you speak about the courses you have, the services, where can people find out more? And I'll make sure to write at least, you know, some of your links in the description. Awesome. Thank you, Aziz. Let's start with the easy bit. If you want to find our website, it is opsis.com.au. That is O-P-S-I-S. Dot com dot au. I am normally Australian based. The courses that we provide a very wide range of both flexible training, virtual training, in-person training across the whole of the dynamics curriculum, whether you are an end user, a slightly more senior manager, for example, one of our courses is business intelligence with Microsoft Dynamics 365. So that is not what I would call a level one course. You need to be a competent user before I'd be comfortable selling you the Dynamics 365, the business intelligence for Dynamics 365 course. I also provide a range of training that are specifically designed to help you achieve success in the Microsoft Dynamics 365 CE exams. So very happy to talk to anybody who wants help in the training space, help that will take them from where they are, which of course is always here, to there. Another course that I offer, and I'm not aware of anyone else offering this, is a Train the Dynamics CRM trainer. And that is not focused on the technology at all. 
that is taking your power users and enabling them to get the information that they've got between their ears and transmit it to the people that need it. Thank you very much. This was an enriching and enlightening conversation. I'm excited and I have been excited about this episode. And before we finish, of course, I have to speak about Processio, which is what makes this whole journey and experience and podcast possible. Processio is the modern low-code, no-code platform for advanced automation and creating an enterprise-grade backend for your software, even in-premise. You can request access to a totally free account at Processio.app. And when people have or anybody who has a lot higher needs, you can get a very generous 50% discount code. You can use it when checking out better 50 off one word capital letters. Use it anytime. More information in the description. Thank you again, Jill. I wish you a great day there in Australia if you are there. No, I'm in the UK at the moment, but yes. And thank you, and I wish you a great day. Thank you, Aziz.